0: Our church. Blessings to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to continue in our series in the book of Acts. Uh, if you're in PSM, there's no PSM programming today if you're junior high. So just stay with us and learn about Christ together with us, please. We're going to be in Acts 2. Please open your copy of God's Word. It's going to be very important this morning that you have uh, open in front of you a copy of God's Word. And if you, uh, if you need one, there's uh, some in the Connect Center if you don't have your own copy of God's Word. Uh, Every Sunday, we open up God's Word because we want uh, to learn about Christ together. The best way to do that is by having our Bibles open. Uh, This morning, it's a longer text. It's a very long text. There's a lot of really big ideas, very important, uh, significant theological ideas in this text, and it's easy to get lost, and I'll try my very best by the help of the Holy Spirit to make things as clear as possible. Uh, We're going to read through the whole of Acts 2, 14 to 41. Remember where we've been so far in Acts 1. The risen Christ teaches his disciples about his kingdom, that he is the, the one promised of the Old Testament, this coming king, this Christ, the anointed one, who would come to establish God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, a kingdom of justice and love and peace and forgiveness and holiness. And he's teaching that to them, and he says, wait in Jerusalem, and the Holy Spirit will come to empower you for witness of this good news of King Jesus to all the ends of the earth. So there they are. Uh, We're at Pentecost, the beginning of chapter 2. And the Spirit comes, poured out from the risen, ascended Christ upon His people. And a question happens in verse 12 that really kind of is the launching pad for our text this morning. Because as the people are there witnessing these disciples, by the Holy Spirit's power, proclaim the good news, the mighty works of God in various languages... The question happens in verse 12 of, what does this mean? The people are perplexed and amazed, and they ask, what does this mean? And in answer to this question, Peter stands up, and we move now into our text. Let's hear the word of the Lord for us today. Peter, in response to the question, what does this mean? He states and proclaims, men of Judea, starting in verse 14, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, Let this be known to you and give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days, it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, And killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says, King David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my tongue rejoice. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. the Christ that he was not abandoned to Hades nor did his flesh see corruption this Jesus god raised up and of that we are all witnesses being therefore exalted at the right hand of god and having received from the father the promise of the holy spirit he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand, until I make your enemies your footstool. Here's the hinge verse. Verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord our God who calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. This is God's Word. It is true and given to us in love. So let's pray together as God's people. Father, help me come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ by the power of your Holy Spirit. Open our minds together as a family and our eyes to behold wonders in your Word this morning. Help us learn all that you teach, gladly obey all that you command. Repent where you call us to turn and trust all that you promise in the gospel of Christ, your son, for your glory and the good of your church, we pray in Jesus' name, who is both Lord and Christ. Amen. So I want to ask you a question this morning. It's a bit of a serious question, I don't intend to offend anyone. I want you to think about it, okay? How would you treat a group of people who tragically and unjustly mistreated and harmed your child. Or maybe if you're here and you don't have kids, how would you treat a group of people who tragically and unjustly mistreated and harmed someone you loved most? Would you forgive them? Would you go out of your way to bless them and fill their lives with joy? Would you welcome them into deeper fellowship and friendship with you? What would you do? How would you treat them? Knowing what they did to someone you love so deeply. Now again, I apologize if thinking like this is a bit discomforting to you, but as I've been praying about how to accurately communicate the intent of Acts 2, 14-41, Peter's sermon at Pentecost, I've come to this conclusion. The radical message of Acts 2, 14-21 is this. This passage is in the Bible to assure and comfort and convict wicked and vile and horrible, sinful people. People who are held responsible for the greatest crime in human history, the crucifixion of the Son of God. This passage is here to assure and comfort and convict those type of people that God... Delights in showing them mercy through the gospel of his son Jesus Christ. To put it another way, the gospel of Jesus Christ, as revealed in Acts 2, the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, and the current reign of Jesus over all creation, those things have an inbuilt magnet in them that are attracted to the most broken, shame-filled, and guilt-ridden humans alive today. This is the gospel of the Lord Jesus that has the power to make sinful, spiritually dead men and women alive to God and His purposes in the world. i say it like this. Another way to say it is Acts 2. The logic that we're going to see is this. If in the first century, God Himself is willing, eagerly willing to forgive and fill with his spirit and draw into fellowship the very people responsible for killing his only beloved son, then the logic is that same God who is alive and well today is ready and willing to forgive you of the worst thing you imagine you could do and to fill you with his spirit, to give you a new life with the resurrection of Christ Through the Spirit And to draw you into deeper fellowship With Himself in the church Those are the three things Forgiveness, filling with the Spirit And fellowship that we're going to see at the very end That's where all this is leading to That God gives to these people In the first century Who crucified His own dear Son He forgives them Fills them with His Spirit And welcomes them Into fellowship in His church and we have to see these things And this is not my idea I want you to see this From the text itself It's not my idea This is God's living word For us this morning Okay so There's three sections Of this passage Okay Section 1 Verses 14 to 21 The spirit who is given Section 2 The Christ who saves And then Verses 22 to 36 And then 3rd The people who respond Verses 37 to the end of the passage So the spirit the Christ, the people. Those are the three sections. We're going to look at those and see together that God is so gracious and so merciful to us who have committed the very worst of sins. So let's look at the spirit given to God's people. Peter clarifies the timeline of where God's people are at in the whole history of what God is doing in the world. Quoting chapter Two of the prophet Joel, the Old Testament prophet. Verse 17, look down with me. It says that uh, in the last days, the spirit will be poured out on all flesh. This phrase, the last days, is spoken about in Joel 2. It's referenced in Ezekiel 36 and 37 and other portions of the Old Testament, especially the prophets, where God promises to his sinful, rebellious Old Testament people That there's a time in the future when they would be gathered from the far corners of the earth into one place. And in that place, he would forgive their sins and pour out his Holy Spirit on them. And it would also be a time of resurrection from the dead. Ezekiel 37 is that great passage about the resurrection of dry bones from death to life. So all of this would happen in a time of resurrection. But in the first century, people understood the last days would come literally at the very, very end point of history, the very end of time, where God, in a mighty kind of work of His power, would vanquish all evil, especially those people oppressing God's people. And then he would raise his people from physical death to new bodily, physical life forever. And God would then create a whole new creation, setting up his kingdom forever. But Peter says, Surprise! Look what's happening right now at Pentecost, he says. Verse 17 and verse 18 in fulfillment of Joel 2, the Spirit is poured out on all people. And guess what's happening? People are prophesying. People are knowing God and making God known through His Word. That's what prophecy is. That's happening right now in your midst in the first century here in Jerusalem. And so like an album on Spotify, right, the album might release in March... But don't you love it when there's like three or four songs released in February So you can start enjoying the music, dancing to the music, right? There's that early release, maybe, uh, the EP before the LP comes out And we all love that So we can begin dancing and singing the songs right now Even as we wait for the full album that will come just around the corner And this is why Peter then concludes in verse 21 Verse 21 Look with me, verse 21. It shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Saved, meaning rescued from the dangerous plight of helpless spiritual death that we are all under in rebellion against our Creator and Lord. So Peter through Joel 2 is saying this. Salvation is not sometime... Launched way in the future But actually it is present And here and now If you call on the name Of the Lord You don't have to wait Till the end of history God, so to speak Is doing an early album release Of the heavenly music Of the new creation Right in the middle of of The history of the world In the first century Not at the end of history The last days are now Right now Meaning the music of forgiveness of your sins And peace with God And right relationship with Him And healing and restoration of relationships And the strength that God provides for us In the midst of suffering and doubt And all the miseries that afflict us All of that music that God's first century people thought Was going to happen in the future Was happening in the first century And the question I want to ask this morning is Then are we dancing with joy? Because we right now are living in the last days Do you hear the gospel music right now, Parkview? Yes, life is hard Yes, life is filled with suffering Yes, sin still wages war against your soul Day in and day out And we can feel broken and defeated And yes, one day Jesus will return To restore all things And to heal this creation And to finally eradicate sin But let's not forget the Holy Spirit was poured out in fulfillment of Joel 2 in the first century as a sign that the last days are among us and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It is a foretaste of the future music of happiness that we will experience in heaven. We get to taste it right now. That's why the Bible and the New Testament, especially the letters of Paul, he talks about how the Holy Spirit is an inheritance of the things to come. The Holy Spirit we might say (laughs) Is launched From the future life Of new creation into the present And he grabbed a hold of a whole bunch Of awesome music And he's dumping it upon us right now And he's playing a soundtrack Of salvation over your life And the question I want to ask us Before we keep moving in this sermon Is are we singing? Are we dancing with joy? The greatest witness To our culture around us Is christians filled with joy and I know life is hard and I know I continue to keep sinning yes But we have forgiveness and we have joy and we are now living in the last days And the spirit of god If you have received christ is upon you And so there's reason now to have joy in the lord So are we walking in the joy and freedom that we have because we're in the last days And the lord is the one who saves us And this then moves us to our second point, the second section, starting in verse 22. The question, if you are a Jewish person in the first century hearing, and at verse 21, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, the question you'd ask then is who is that Lord? And so Peter, the rest of his sermon is going to prove, by quoting the Old Testament, who this Lord is. And again, addressing the people in Jerusalem. And since this section has so many Amazing truths to it I don't want to lose the forest By just looking at every tree But there's two primary moves We might say that Peter does In verses 22 to 36 The first move is he retells the story of Jesus In fulfillment of the Old Testament That he is the Lord I was really helped by John Stott and how he puts this together Okay, Verse 22, the life of Jesus Jesus of Nazareth Look down with me, right? A man attested to you By God with signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. Verse 23. Life of Jesus. Verse 22. Verse 23. The death of Jesus. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. The resurrection of Jesus. Verse 24. Keep looking at the text. God raised him up. And this resurrection was predicted in the Old Testament, specifically in Psalm 16, by King David. And Uh, Peter summarizes it in verse 31 David, look at verse 31 David foresaw and spoke about what? The resurrection of the Christ And then he directly quotes Psalm 16 That he was not abandoned to Hades Nor did his flesh see corruption Peter makes this point then Verse 32 This Jesus God raised up And of that we are all witnesses So we are looking Okay At the Lord who saves, and what have we seen so far? The life of Jesus, this Jesus of Nazareth. The death of Jesus, this Jesus, crucified by God's plan, but you crucified him. Resurrection of Jesus, God raised him up. And then Peter moves to his final point of the story of Jesus with an explanation of what's happening at Pentecost. Verse 33, the ascension of Jesus, being therefore exalted or ascended, At the right hand of God, which is Old Testament language of at the the right hand of, of God's power and authority, the place of rule as king, and having received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, get this, he, Jesus, has poured out this, this spirit that you yourselves are seeing. And then he confirms this, Peter does, by then quoting Psalm 110. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. Which is a psalm about God's ascended Lord. The Lord speaks to my Lord. The Lord God speaks to the Lord who is king over God's people. So what have we just seen? The life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, the exaltation of Jesus, all of this leading to the point in history where Jesus as crucified, resurrected, ascended Lord pours out His Spirit on his church. And and Peter's saying, this is what you see, right? Now that's the first move, okay? Peter's trying to prove this is the Lord, and his first move is to retell the story, the historical facts of Jesus. And this is really important for us to understand. Because Christianity is the one religion that rises and falls, so to speak, on historical facts. Not primarily on religious experience, not on spiritual revelations or whatever that you find in other world religions. In in christianity it all rises and falls on historical facts that happened in the first century with a man named jesus of nazareth That who was witnessed by eyewitnesses and then faithfully transcribed in the word of god that we have Today but the second move though that then peter does is not just this is who jesus is this jesus But then he says You the audience in the first set you're responsible in this whole history that god is doing you have a responsible part that you play notice again the verses verse 22 men of israel he's saying he's speaking to the people there jesus was attested what to you verse 22 by god as you yourselves know. verse 23 this jesus yes crucified in god's plan but what does he say You crucified and killed him. Verse 24 to 32, this Jesus God raised up, we are witnesses. Verse 33, God exalted him, and now Jesus as king has poured out his spirit. What does he say? That you are seeing here today. So to put it all together, in summary, Peter has a kind of a drumbeat. Boom, boom, boom. It's this Jesus who lived, this Jesus who died, this Jesus who was raised, this Jesus who's exalted. And you are responsible, and you crucified. And all of this comes to a point in verse 36, which is the summary conclusion of Peter's sermon. And he declares, let all the house of Israel, you people standing here listening to this sermon, therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ and God's forever king, this Jesus whom you crucified. This Jesus, Lord in Christ, you crucified. He is the Lord who saves. That is the Lord who saves. Now, could you imagine being one of the people in this crowd, hearing these things from Peter, being indicted for the worst and most cruel act of hatred against God, killing his own son? Could you imagine what that would have been like? Most of us can't even emotionally bear sitting in front of our boss at our annual review as they tell us the three or four things that we didn't do so well at work. Some of us can't even emotionally stand hearing from a spouse or a close dear friend areas in our life that are not appropriate, uh, that are not mature, that need growing and changing. Okay, so then what would it have felt like to hear from an eyewitness of the resurrected Lord That you are responsible for murdering God's own son What would have that have been like? Could you imagine? Actually, I don't think we need to imagine anything Because to be human is to walk around With the shameful degradation of our sin Against our good and holy God Our rebellious disregard for the presence of the Lord Our insatiable lust for pleasure or power or human approval outside of God's good design. Our bored disinterest with the beauty of His character. Our horrible defiance of His precious word to us. Our lazy worldliness that treasures just about anything other than God Himself. In the end, it does not matter what your specific flavor of sin is. While we are not directly responsible for crucifying Jesus in the first century, we are culpable participants. Because of our sin against the holy God In crucifying his own son Make no mistake, Parkview It was our sin that shoved the nails Through the hands of the most beautiful God-honoring, perfect person In the history of the world God gives us his son And what do we do? In our sin, we cheer on in the crowd As he's suffocating, dying on a cross Cursed under the judgment of God, Let all the earth know for certain that God has made him Lord in Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. We have to be honest about how serious our sin is against a holy, beautiful God. Because until the patient in the hospital gets honest about the cancer that is killing them, they cannot get the cure. And we find the cure in the next verses, starting in verse 37. It's no wonder in light of this that the people are cut to the heart. This is the language of death. Notice that it did not say they had a paper cut. To the heart. This language in the original text is a dagger shoved into your aorta that leads to death, spiritual death. Our sin is not a mistake from which we can manage a nice response. No, this is death of spiritual rebellion against a holy God. And so they ask, and we all ask, then what do we do, Lord, if we are responsible for crucifying your son? And the answer is, verse 38, repent and be baptized. Repent, a change of your mind. Turn away from your self grasping selfishness that led to the crucifixion of God's Son. Turn away from it and embrace and believe all that Jesus is for you. This is the gospel promise that is offered to us in the verse, verse 38 and 39. The promise is for you and for your children and for any person whom the Lord calls to himself. And that's what's so amazing about repentance is that we cannot deal with the ugliness of our sin until we realize the graciousness of the Lord. How does God treat us when we are responsible for crucifying his son? Acts 2 shows us he pours out more blessing, more grace upon grace for weary and wicked sinners like us. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's only possible because he is the sovereign Lord Who calls us into relationship with himself Brothers and sisters, today in his word The Lord Jesus is calling you back home If Haddon is out playing in the streets and I say, come back in He's got to turn around and come back home But it's a calling As it says in verse 39 God calls everyone to himself And we respond in repentance and faith Because he wants to call you back home Don't you see the heart of God in Acts 2 for the most wicked, vile people? If in the first century, God is willing not only to forgive and fill with His Spirit and then welcome into His church, as it says in verse 41, they were added to the number, added to the church. God does all of that. Why? Because of His gracious heart, because He loves sinners. Romans 5.8 says it like this While we're still sinners, Christ died for us In Acts 2, we might say God shows His love for us That while we're still sinners, Christ died And then He was raised from death And then He was exalted into the heavens And Jesus as a Lord over all things And all people calls everyone to repent And turn from sin And trust in Him And be baptized as a sign, a public declaration that you are now part of Team Jesus, you are now part of the family of Jesus, and now by the best of your power through the strength of the Spirit, you will live for Jesus. But don't don't lose the heart of this passage. Isn't that amazing that in verse 36 there's an indictment against these people? You crucified, and yet human sin. According to Acts 2, human sin, your sin, my sin is no match for the power of God and Jesus Christ, who can raise a crucified carpenter from Nazareth from death and then exalt him in the heavens. Jesus is alive and living today, which means. He is right now, right here by His Spirit, forgiving sins. No matter what you did or have done or are doing right now, you can be forgiven, you can repent and turn, and you can live a new life in the power of the Spirit. And so today is the day, if you've not yet embraced Jesus Christ... This is the offer of the gospel for you right now that you can turn and there is forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ and you can have your whole life made new by the power of the Spirit and you can be welcomed into the family of Christ in the local church. It is amazing all that Christ has given to us in the gospel. Friends, let's never forget the surprise and shock of how good and wonderful the gospel of Jesus Christ really is that to those who crucified God's own son how does he treat them he forgives them he pours out his spirit on them the holy spirit that was reserved for special spots and only special people one time a year the high priest could walk in the holy presence of God God that holy is now residing in you sinful and broken as you are glory be to God. To be a Christian is the most miraculous, glorious thing in the entire universe. And it's the exact opposite of anything we would imagine. Because God is gracious, and He loves forgiving and restoring sinners to Himself. He loves calling us home, and that's what repentance is. Repentance is saying, I'm so far from home, and I've turned away from the Lord. And now I'm coming back. And he's calling, verse 39. He's calling. He's calling. Come back to me. Come back to me. Will you come back to the Lord? What is the sin right now that you're fooling around with? Today is the day that you can repent. And the reason you repent is because you realize in your heart how deeply gracious God the Father is towards you through Christ his Son. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much for Jesus, our Lord, who though crucified by our own sin has been raised by the power of God to your glory and is now pouring out the Spirit on all who ask. Lord, I pray for anyone here. All it takes is collapsing, as one of my friends likes to say, collapsing into the open arms of Jesus Christ, the crucified hands that are wide open for us. And so I pray by your Holy Spirit that you would come and you would draw us. Lord, how beautiful if we saw many people come to faith in Christ through the proclamation of this gospel because the Holy Spirit right now is working, opening hearts to Jesus. Please do this work, I pray. Lord, help us. We want to see Jesus, and we want to receive Jesus. Amen.